You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. When you're turning there, let me ask you, how many of you have ever made a mistake? And how many of you have tried to fix that mistake and just made things worse? Right? Now, several of you didn't raise your hand on either one of those questions, and I'd like for you to help me with my next project, renovation. Um, my experience has been often when I make a mistake that my next move is to make that mistake worse. And if you've ever messed up and then doubled down on your mess up, you can relate to Jonah. Jonah didn't just mess up, Jonah was a mess. And today as we launch off in this new study, this book about Jonah's life and ministry, we're going to see that he's very relatable, that we can see ourselves in him. Jonah is in the Minor Prophets section of the Bible, and the Minor Prophets are called that not because of little influence or because of insignificance, but because in comparison to the other prophetical books, they're smaller. Prophetical books like Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, those are major works. Jonah is a small book, but in it we have a powerful story of God reaching out to someone who keeps messing up. I want to point out a couple of ways that Jonah is different than every other minor prophet book. First of all, Jonah, the prophet, is given a prophecy to foretell. And most of the prophets, their books are about the prophecy that they foretell, which would either by the end, the conclusion of their book, be fulfilled or be looking towards being fulfilled. But Jonah's prophecy, his book would end with his prophecy not coming to pass. Because of the response of the people of Nineveh, what he prophesied about their city doesn't happen. Secondly, while many of the books that bear the name of some character of the Bible are about how they have made right decisions, or though they were imperfect, placed their hope and trust in God, and he worked through them to accomplish his purposes, Jonah's book is all about how stubborn he was and unwilling to do what God would have him to do. Jonah is not the protagonist or good guy in his own story. He's the antagonist or the bad guy. He's the one that's constantly making mistakes. And considering the shape of the book of Jonah and the decisions that he makes, you could legitimately ask, is Jonah the worst prophet ever? Now, you've probably had a moment where you feel that you're ill-suited for your job, that you're a failure as a parent or a spouse, that deep down you don't really know what you're doing. Perhaps some of you, you're doing a good job of pretending and faking it through, just showing up each day and acting like you know what it means to be an adult or to be a parent or to be a spouse. But Jonah's story is not about how he kind of gets it right. It's, it's about how he gets it wrong so much of the time. Maybe you're here and you've accepted that you regularly make wrong choices. And you've learned to deal with it by being laid back and deciding, hey man, what will be, will be. 
Hey, Sarah, Sarah. Maybe you're in a mess right now and you're not even really worried about it. You're a lot like Joan in that regard, too. And if you were to play a game of word association and ask people to tell you the word that pops into their minds when they hear the word Jonah, typically the responses are going to be something like whale or big fish or ocean. Because most people, what they know about Jonah is that he was swallowed by a great big fish. And while the fish plays an important role in Jonah's story, it's not the most important theme in this book. The important theme of Jonah is God's grace. That even though he kept messing up, God was gracious to him. G. Campbell Morgan said that while many people focus their look at Jonah on the big fish that takes up three verses, they miss the theme of the great big God that's on display in every verse of all four chapters. I hope that when we finish our study of Jonah, that when you hear the name Jonah, that the first word that pops in your mind is not whale or fish or even mess up or mistake but that the first word that pops into your mind is grace. Because that's the theme throughout this book. Let's start reading in chapter 1 and verse 1 of Jonah. This may be a good time for you to use the YouVersion app. We put our sermon notes and passages on the YouVersion Bible app. And so if you're struggling to find Jonah, you can find all of that right there in the YouVersion app under the live section. Jonah 1 verse 1 says, now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, I just want to pause right there, because the book of Jonah starts like almost every other prophetical book. Every other prophetical book starts with the word of the Lord came to that prophet. And so the author is starting this book off like every other prophetical book. He's setting up the reader to be shocked and surprised by what is going to happen next. He's setting up the reader to look at Jonah as the hero, as the one who's going to do what he's supposed to, as the example of righteousness. But that's not what happens. God says to Jonah in verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he uh, paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. You know, there are times that circumstances happen to us, and we don't know if it's just coincidence. We run into problems and we're not sure if it's just bad luck. The author makes sure that we know that the, the, the storm that Jonah's ship runs into, that God sent it directly at him. God sent a wind into the sea. Verse 5 says, Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone and down into the sides of the ship. 
And he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise and call upon thy God. If so be that thy God will think upon us that we perish not. And they said everyone to his fellow, Come and let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. They rolled dice. So they cast lots and the lot fell upon Jonah. They rolled dice on the boat, and Jonah lost. Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation, and whence comest thou? What is thy country, and of what people art thou? What are you doing here? Where did you come from? What have you done? And he said unto them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he told them. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. He said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land, but they could not, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. They tried hard to make it to shore without throwing Jonah overboard, but they couldn't. 14 says, Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah And they cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord, and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, verse 3 says. Verse 10 says, he told them that he had fled from the presence of the Lord. Jonah literally tried to run from God. He tried to escape the presence of God. Now, I'm not saying that Jonah thought that God was limited to the place of Israel. Perhaps that was part of his thinking. But for whatever reason, he felt that if he could get to Tarshish, he would be so far out of God's plan that God would say, it's just inconvenient to mess with Jonah. I'll find someone else. When I was a young man, I remember hearing a man preach who said when he was a teenager, he felt like God was calling him to be a pastor. So he immediately went out and got a mohawk and dyed it pink because he thought God will never use me to preach now. That was his way of getting out of that calling. Jonah thinks, if I get to Tarshish, if I'm far enough away, if I've gone the opposite direction of Nineveh, then I'm separated by land and sea from what it is that God wants me to do, and I'll be okay. He chose Tarshish because it was as far as he could get from Nineveh, separated by land and sea. He chose them to turn away from God's plan and plunge headlong, all in, immediately on avoiding God's purpose for him. The passage says that when Jonah heard the word of the Lord, that he rose up to flee. 
Whether, whether Jonah was sitting or he was laying down in his bed, when he received this vision, the first thing he did was get up and run the opposite direction. He didn't consider it. He didn't weigh his options. He immediately got up and fled. And from the moment he got up, he was headed to Joppa to catch a boat to Tarshish to get as far away as he possibly could. He was trying to run from God. He was looking to escape. He was trying to get away. Now, nowadays, we don't often run from God through geography. We don't cross state lines trying to avoid the Lord. But we find other ways to escape Him, to ignore Him, to turn our back on His call and command for our lives. We escape into media. We escape into substances. We escape into sex and relationships, into work, into shopping, into food, into causes, in good things and bad things, noble things and wicked things. We look for a way to ignore what it is that God is trying to tell us. And some of you this morning, you haven't gotten on a boat to get away from the Lord, but you've plunged yourself into something else to distance yourself from God and escape His presence in your life, to ignore His call on your heart, His call to what it is that you know that He is asking you to do, what you know He's asking you to be, and you're doing whatever you can to escape that. God set a clear call and command before Jonah, and he ran from it. And God has set clear calls and commands on our lives, and we often run from them. And it doesn't look as cut and dry as what Jonah does here, but it's all the same still, an abandonment of what God would have us to do and to be, what he's called us to in this life. And Jonah felt so good about his plan to escape God's presence that as soon as he had executed, he took a really good nap. He gets down into the boat and goes to sleep. And I want to point out a couple of parallels in this first chapter. What we see again and again is that Jonah, as he runs away from God, runs down. Verse 3 says that he arose and ran down to Joppa. When he found a boat that was headed to Tarshish, he paid the fare and went down into it. Once he was in the boat, he went down into the hull of the ship and found a place where he could sleep. And friends, as long as we run from God, we run down to trouble and misery. It will be true for us. Whenever we turn our back on God, we will never move up in this life. We will only move down. Now, I'm not saying that we will suffer misfortune or we'll have less money or we'll have less popularity or less fame, but I do know that we will have less peace and happiness. So, Pastor Daniel, I mean, it looks like Jonah's pretty happy where he's at. He's asleep. He's taking a great nap. I'd like to do that. Some of you doing it right now. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, and we get a fuller picture of why later on in the book. We'll get there. But what was he going to Tarshish for? What was his plan? What was he going to do in Tarshish? How long was he going to stay there? Where was he headed? He had no plan. His only plan was to get away from God. And in that insanity, 
he felt that he had figured something out. And he felt pretty good about it. Good enough that he went to sleep. And it may be that right now you are running from God, doing everything you can to escape his presence and his call on your life, and you feel pretty good about it. And you are gravely mistaken. And like the ship captain said to Jonah, I want to say to you, what do you mean, O sleeper? What are you thinking? What are you planning? Don't you know that there will eventually come a day where the storm comes raging? There will come a day that you answer for how you have responded to God's call on your life. And you may be able to escape the consequences and escape the anxiety and the worry for a day or two, but it is coming. And it will get harder and harder and harder to escape that reality and that truth the farther you go down away from the Lord's command. He's going to Tarshish and he's asleep on a boat that's about to be broken in half. You know, the truth is that God established His commands not only because of His holy nature, but because He knows that when we break His commands, it breaks us. It wrecks us. It hurts us. And we may be able to pretend that everything is okay, but it's not okay. You might feel like you've got it figured out, but your world is turning upside down. You may not realize it. But there's a fire that's burning, and there's a storm that's raging. The ship is about to be torn apart. The crew is throwing their cargo overboard, trying to make it through, possibly trying to lighten the ship and also get rid of anything they thought. Maybe God's offended by this box. Maybe God doesn't like what's in this container. Whatever it is, get it off the ship. Lighten the load. Every man pray to your God. Whichever one will hear us, we will will trust in Him. And all around Jonah, there's a flurry of people sacrificing and saying prayers, and Jonah is asleep. And so the ship's captain finds him and says, what are you thinking? When I read this interaction between Jonah and the ship's captain, I immediately thought of a a popular cartoon by Casey Green. It's a dog drinking coffee inside of a burning room saying, this is fine. Now, most people don't know the origin of this cartoon or the title of the cartoon or how it ends. The title of this cartoon is The Pills Are Working. How is it the dog sits there and sips his coffee as if nothing is going on? The pills are working. Let me show you the third and fourth frames. They show us that things get progressively worse. The last two frames of the cartoon are a little graphic, so I'm not going to show them to you. Eventually, the dog melts in the flame, but the pills are working. And what we have in our world right now are all manner of means of escaping reality and truth that the fire is burning, the world is turning upside down, the storm is raging, and we need to turn from our sin and follow the Lord. God established His command not only because of His whole nature, but because He knows what is best for us. He knows how best we can live. He knows how best we can have relationships. He knows how best we can parent and be married. He knows the best of all of this. And there's not only a similarity in Jonah running down to Joppa and getting down into the boat and going down into the hole, 
There's also a similarity that when God calls to him in verse 1, he says, Arise, Jonah, and go. And when the ship's captain finds him asleep in the boat, he says, Arise, O sleeper, and go pray to your God. And when it comes time for them to throw him overboard, Jonah says, You need to take me up and cast me over. Jonah's been going down, 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 and things have gotten worse, worse, worse. And what he needs to do is follow God's original command to arise, to go up, up, up. And you may have gone down to the point where you feel like everything is fine, everything is okay, but you are running toward misery and trouble. Because when we run from the Lord, we run toward misery and trouble. But whenever we run to God, we run up to peace and joy. This morning, I want to be like the ship's captain and wake you up. Everything is not fine. Everything is not okay. You know what's amazing? This storm actually acts as a catalyst for Jonas to start making some right decisions. This storm prompts Jonah to start going up and stop going down. Now he gets thrown up and overboard, but he ends up going down into the water. But that fish that God prepared vomits Jonah up on the dry ground. You see, all through this, God is being gracious. The reason he sends Jonah to Nineveh, is he's trying to extend grace to the people of Nineveh. That if they don't turn from their wickedness, they will face calamity. The reason that God sends the storm into the ocean that meets the boat that Jonah is on is grace. God is not just playing with Jonah's life. He's not treating the the lives of those on the ship as worthless. No one loses their life, but he does what he has to. He goes to drastic measures to get Jonah's attention. And it works. And sometimes in our life, God sends a storm to get our attention. Now, not every storm is sin of the Lord. And not every problem you've ever faced was the Lord's doing. A lot of those you got yourself into without His help. But in all of them, he is trying to get our attention. And so the mariners, the ship's crew say, let's let's throw dice to figure out what this is about. And Jonah's like, yeah, good idea. He knows. Already he knows it's him. The dice lands on Jonah. And they look at him. And Jonah says, I know, I know it's, it's me. And notice what he says to them. He says, I fear the Lord of the Hebrews who is maker of the land and the sea. You know what Jonah's recognizing? There is no place I can go to escape the Lord. I serve the God who made the land and the sea. Getting out on the water is not going to escape him. He made where we are. There is no place we can go to escape him. 
and there is no substance, and there is no activity, and there is no hobby, and there is no measure of a success that will grant us escape from the Lord. We will all face Him one day. But God not only sends a storm that gets Jonah's attention, God sends a fish. Now, these, these mariners, they're thinking, if God will do this because a guy won't go where he's supposed to, what's he going to do to us if we kill a man? We can't throw him overboard. And they do everything they can to row the ship to shore. They've thrown everything they can overboard. They're trying to row to land. They can't make it. They finally say, we have no other option. And they call out to God and beg for mercy. And they throw Joan overboard. Why? They assumed he was going to die. They assumed that they were killing this man. What else would you think if you're throwing a man overboard into a stormy sea? But when Jonah plops into the water, as he takes his last breath and goes under, he is probably expecting to face God in eternity. He's breathing his last breath. But there is a fish that swallows him whole, and carries him to shore. And many times we think of the fish as an instrument of God's wrath, but rather the fish was an instrument of God's mercy. It was the best lifeguard ever. Plucked Jonah from the middle of a stormy sea and took him to land. Can I just tell you, this is what God does in your life? He does the extraordinary to get your attention and show you grace. He's done the remarkable to call out to you and show you His mercy. Throughout all of Jonah's book, God is trying to show him mercy. And throughout all of your life, God is trying to extend you grace. And the storms that he has sent and the pickles that you've gotten yourself into, the constant theme is God is trying to show you grace. I had a little fun at the expense of the Buffalo Bills last week. Remember I talked about how they went to the Super Bowl often and lost often. And the Bills stands for, boy, I love losing Super Bowls. Talked about how I watched a documentary that covered how the, the first Super Bowl that they went to, they partied hard. They were excited to be there. It came time for the game. They weren't ready. They lost. The next year, they were all business, incredibly serious, too much pressure. They cracked underneath the pressure and lost. But in that same documentary, there was a, a moving story. In the first Super Bowl that the Bills lost, they were playing awful. They had not approached it with the seriousness that they should have. The Giants had controlled the ball the entire game and taken the lead. But somehow, with time winding down, the Bills had an opportunity to win the game at the end with a 47-yard field goal. And their kicker, Scott Norwood, was a great kicker. The season before that, when he had made four game-winning field goals and had gone to the Pro Bowl, the only Buffaloes kicker ever to do so. But when he came out on the field, the Super Bowl on the line, he missed a 47-yarder. 47 yards is by no means a for-sure field goal. 
But people acted like he lost the game. Even though the entire team had made mistakes and they never should have been in that position at all. After the game, Scott Norwood stood at his locker for an hour and took question after question about the missed field goal. But then something remarkable happened. When the team returned to Buffalo, the ceremony and parade that they had planned in the city center for Super Bowl champions, they converted to a gathering of fans to show their support for the team that had been in such bad shape years before and was clearly making progress. And there, after their Super Bowl loss, fans filled the city square and cheered for them. And some of the players spoke. And while one of the players was speaking, his marks were coming to an end, the fans started cheering, We want Scotty. We want Scotty. And his teammates pushed him up to the podium, and the crowd erupted into applause. They cheered the guy who had missed the game-winning field goal. There were people on talk radio saying, Get rid of this guy. Cut him. But the fans showed him grace. That even though he had messed up, he was their kicker. Every one of us have messed up like Jonah messed up. Every one of us have gone the opposite direction of what we should have. Every one of us, we've gone left when we should have gone right. We've gone down when we should have gone up. But God still extends us grace and mercy. Jesus makes mention of Jonah in the Gospels. Matthew tells us that scribes and Pharisees come to Jesus demanding a sign. It's in Matthew 12, 38 through 40. And Jesus answers and says to them, An evil generation seeketh the sign, and there shall be no sign given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the well's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And just as God did the extraordinary to show grace to Jonah and save him with a great fish, Jesus used the grave to show us grace and mercy, to show us his kindness, to save us from our mess in the middle of a sea of wickedness and sin. Christ came and died on the cross to take the punishment for our sin and spent three days and three nights in the grave to deliver us safe to the other side. No matter how much you've messed up, God is going to drastic measures to get your attention and show you grace. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.